Hello and welcome to another episode of Banter Banter. It's so dice of you to be with us tonight. I'm your dungeon master for the evening. That's right. This is going to be a D&D themed episode and I'm going to be your guide as we talk about the many various things that are Dungeons and Dragons. My name is Aaron and joining me tonight are two of the best role players and D&Ders that I've ever met. Please welcome to the podcast, Mike. I will be your 2D10 for the evening. And Manny. I'm so sorry that I'm the best you could pull up. You know, man, short notice, sometimes it's all about the best of what's left. This is what happens when he doesn't have a lot of people to ask to come visit him at the corner of Nostalgia and Reality. Indeed, and here we are at the corner of Nostalgia and Reality, except this time I've got a Dungeon Master screen and some dice. We were the best couple of jerks he was able to drum up on short notice. That's right. The A team was gone, so was the B team. Even the C team got called up. So, we're the D team. The D&D team, that is. Had me a little worried there. I thought this was going to go into, like, Piranha 3 double D territory, and I was a little stressed. That territory can remain forbidden land for as long as it wants until the apocalypse. Welcome to the podcast that is Jump the Tarrasque. Yes, that's right, we're at Banter Banter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have Jump the Tarrasque. Undoubtedly, this will be the final episode we ever air. The final good episode. Also the first good episode. Man, it was a short combo. Good thing we were able to sneak in Ving Rhames for our uncredited script debut for Deputy Fallon. You know, Ving Rhames hasn't been in anything in a while, so I'm sure that he jumped at the chance to be a part of this project. Who wouldn't after he was in Piranha 3 Double D back in 2012. <laughs> oh my gosh. I forgot that he was in that film. I've tried to forget that film for the most part. I haven't seen it, but I love the name. I've scrubbed it from my mind. The naming convention's clever. Gary Busey's in it. Oh lord, I'm having fun. That movie is to be enjoyed in the same fashion that you try to enjoy time with your in-laws. With alcohol. I guess I would have to make it a whole series. Since there's Piranha, Piranha 2 The Spawning, Piranha 3D, and then Piranha 3 Double D. <laughs> How could one say no to that series of movies? I think the only thing that's outlasted that must be Sharknado. Because I think Sharknado's had like five or six installments. Probably. But man, some of the people they snagged, and I do not know any for Sharknado. Welcome to Banter Banter, where we agree to talk about a certain topic, and much like the dungeons, we all bear witness to the Tangent Dragon 
who takes us far, far away from these lands. <laughs> and we just throw it straight out the window. All right, I'm going to get this party started. Grab your dice. Hold on to your butts. You're on a long, dusty road. Your vehicle broke down some miles back on your way to a particular destination. When you finally reach the final rise, a sign begins to slowly come into your view. It's blurry at first. It says Tangent Dragon. And once it finally, you blink it into focus, you realize that you have arrived at your destination. That destination is the trailer park. So, a while back, we had discussed the old D&D movie on the trailer park, and appropriately riffed on it, and it's talked vaguely about its second and even third sequel that a lot of people did not know about. So, it is kind of a trilogy, but not one progressive story that has three different parts. It's just kind of three separate stories taking place in, quote, Dungeons & Dragons universe. But now, Paramount Pictures has seen it to grace us with a film coming out soon called Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Is there ever any honor among thieves? I mean, they're just thieves. I would say, and this is actually going to directly go into one of the things I wanted to bring up about this trailer, kind of the vibes I was getting. I'd say probably like, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy are kind of like... Maybe honorable thieves. So you mean they're good guys? Not necessarily good guys. If I was a thief, and I had an opportunity to steal from you, but it might hurt a bunch of people, but I was a real thief, I'm gonna put that in my pocket and I'm gonna get rich. Yes, getting rich is the goal. <laughs> or die trying. Or die trying. I think I'd rather just get rich and not die. That is the ultimate goal. That's kind of the pinnacle of doing that well. And to touch on what you said about honor, I think honor is typically tied to a personal code or a code of a certain group or country that is instilled into a person. So, yes, I do believe there can be honor among thieves. Yes, sure, they are stealing. Is that honor to steal from everyone, including fellow thieves? Yes, we steal from everyone, just like Ravengers. There again, with the Guardians of the Galaxy comparison. That's the first thing I want to say about this trailer. I do get, in the way that it's a bunch of people who seem to be not necessarily heroes, but also seem to be good-hearted enough to when they realize they screwed up, that they're going to try to do something about it. And that way, I get strong Guardian vibes from this. Also, some of the character dynamics I saw, not really Guardians per se, but very quippy with each other, gives each other just enough of a hard time every once in a while to keep things fresh and moving. Fellas, after watching this movie, I gotta say, I am incredibly cautiously optimistic. 
about this. For one, it's stacked with some pretty good talent, including Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Justice Smith, and Hugh Grant, just to name a few. Of course, seeing the premise of this trailer, you see that they are a group of thieves who steal for other people, and then they sold the wrong thing and gave it to the wrong people. But now it seems, in the course of the trailer, that they are attempting to right those wrongs, which is admirable and honorable. So, gentlemen, cursory thoughts or initial thoughts. What do you like about this trailer? Did you even like this trailer? I think from what I managed to put together, it's definitely aimed at the modern, what is popularly called the fandom crowd. Like you were saying, the same type of people who are basically down for anything Big Daddy Disney Marvel puts out. It seems very, I would say quirky is a good way of putting it. But it does definitely follow in the trends recently where it does kind of fall headfirst into that quirkiness. So I feel like I know what to expect, or at least I'd be very surprised when they deliver a very serious film. I don't mean to keep going back to Guardians, but one of the things that I think Guardians of the Galaxy did very well is that the movie had so many moments of comedy, but then also on a dime could turn around and make you do things that had you form an emotional attachment to the characters and the story. And I'm hoping that's what happens here. Now, a lot of people have been trying to imitate the Guardians formula for a while. The original Suicide Squad was one of those, which, you know, the movie is the movie. And nothing's quite measured up to what Guardians accomplished, which is fine. I don't think that everything should have to copy the same formula, but it is a fun format, I think, to have a group of found family that gets in trouble together, but also tries to do good together. Mike, what about you, man? To be polite, I will not be seeing this in the theaters. The trailer didn't disappoint me per se, but I feel like the original Dungeons and Dragons movie and any iteration they've tried to kind of put forth has not been very successful. Because of that, I'm going to let it just do its thing in the movie theater And then when it becomes available on a streaming service that I already subscribe to, I'll probably give it a watch. But the trailer itself. I'm curious as to how long they invest in the movie time length getting to that first error that they've already told you in the trailer, which is giving that thing that horn or whatever that object to the bad guy one of the bigger challenges that this movie might face maybe be similar to the problem with video game adaptations when you're taking a medium that is so known for its interactability and you're creating a passive story for it but at the same time i would say maybe the advent of live play podcasts have proven that there's a way to go about that So, honestly, I'm kind of not sure where it'll have trouble. I definitely agree with that. And actually, Mike brings up a good point. How much time is a film going to spend 
leading up to this thing, how much character time are we going to get? And this is something I hadn't even considered yet. Is this going to be a standalone film, or is this the start of a trilogy? And they just haven't announced it as that yet. My money is a soft implication of a trilogy that they could back out on in case it doesn't do well. I would totally agree, because that's how they've been doing lots of movies recently. The movie industry is not willing to take big chances on certain individual movies, let alone a possible two or three movie series. Because they're like, ah, oh, well, we want our $500 million winnings from paying you $10 million to make this movie. <laughs> our winnings. That's a good point, sir. How do I convince the public to shill out more money? Make a good story. Let's make it 3D and charge them an extra $7 because it's 3D. Make a good story. Are people even still doing that? And then an additional $2 for them ordering the ticket online. Don't forget the glasses fee. Make a good story. <laughs> and then the good story fee. Even though it's a crappy story. One of you has very realistic expectations. I, I get it. Mike has the most realistic expectations. Yeah. I'm just trying to play in this space. That was perfectly jaded, Mike. I do agree, though. If you write a good story, they will come. You're just building your sandcastles on the beach, and here comes Mike stomping around like Godzilla. <laughs> like an angry four-year-old. The way I see it is you're trying to build us a nice little sandcastle. So I'm going over to, like, the side and, like, sort of taking the sand out and making a trench out of it. But, you know, here goes Mike coming over with a fire hose. Just like, oh, don't mind me. I'm just going to water the beach. He's just stomping his way towards you wearing a shirt that doesn't cover his belly that just says corporations on it. And he just comes and stomps and just sprays down all your can castles and then kicks sand in your eyes and gives you a wedgie and then walks away to find something else to destroy. I love that you're using cans to make castles when you're on the beach. Hey, man, I got to make those shapes somehow. Can castles. After you've been gripping it and ripping it so much. That's true. Uh, I apologize. I cannot oblige with obligatory. Grip it and rip it. Perfect, perfect fully work, Mike. Now, boys, this is going to be shocking. I need you to hold on. It's going to be some shock. Oh, is it? I need you to brace yourselves. Let me pick my jaw up from the consistent, shocked location it is always in. For the corporate greed that you're about to tell me about. For once, it doesn't have anything to do with that. Corporations are greed. This has to do with scum and villainy, which I guess also corporations, but... <laughs> <laughs> and or greed. <laughs> Mike got his corporate greed switch flipped so hard over last episode that he can't turn it back. I know. We gotta reset him somehow. We gotta reformat him to his default setting. Although his default setting might actually be worse. But no, the shocking thing about this, boys, there's been some gatekeeping with this trailer. If you can believe it, can you even imagine? Shock me, shock me, shock me. 
with other humans' deviant actions. There's been some gatekeeping up to, uh, hey, she can't be a tiefling, her skin's not colored, to, hey, druids can't turn into owlbears. We can't have this movie not use the premises of the games, and we don't know what level these characters are or any of their circumstances. And Right. A game that is literally limited by your imagination and the loose guidelines that the rule books give you. Look, my imagination is very small, and I said they can't do that, so that's illegal, and they need to stop this movie right now. I've played games with you as a player, and have played games that you have run, and I know for a fact that you have a much bigger imagination than you give yourself credit for. Excuse me, sir, I think the real problem is that I said that they're not allowed to do that, and therefore they need to shut the movie down and pay me as a consultant to make sure they get it right. Yes, exactly, and that's the attitude. It's being taken. Basically, no women are allowed to be in the movie because Dungeons and Dragons doesn't say anything about women. Duh. I know. A woman that's in the Dungeons and Dragons that's not a tavern wench? What were they thinking? What? I can't be racist or sexist? I know. Also, the men aren't allowed to be in this because they're clearly weak humans and nobody needs them. Right. Nobody plays humans in D&D. Why would they do that? They're already a human. That's so lame. Especially not with one D&D, where human variants have been made useless by the new feat system and backgrounds. Everyone wants that extra feat at first level. I'm just saying, juice up the human. Give him something else. Give him a hat. Yeah, give him steroids. I think that's what everybody should get. It's just steroids. Gentlemen, if I could rein us back in. Please do. Please do. Dear God, please do. We have almost walked through this trailer park, and we're starting to get to the seedier parts, but I see... Well, you're going to have to stop Mike from licking the doorknobs if we're going to get him away from this trailer park. (laughs) I don't know. Are you willing to touch my already licked doorknobs? Because if you're afraid of my germs, that might be your undoing. Mike, you don't have to say yes to every single person who offers you hooch. The last thing I would like to bring up about this trailer is that I really appreciate the various monsters that they showcased in it, including at least four dragons that I counted, a displacer beast, a gelatinous cube, and a mimic. Because we didn't get a whole lot of the monsters in the original Dungeons and Dragons movies. We got dragons, of course. Dragons is easy. Dragons are all over the place in movies. So the fact that they showed the Displacer Bees. Also, funniest scene in the entire movie is when they seem to be in some sort of arena and a Displacer Beast jumps towards them. And to avoid getting attacked by the Displacer Beast, they jumped into a gelatinous cube. Wait, I'm sorry, sir. You're talking like you've already seen this movie? No, it's in the trailer. You just said of this movie. Yeah, it's a movie trailer. So yes, it's in the movie. Well, we'll see. Sometimes they show things in trailers that don't actually show up in the films. First, don't get ahead of yourself because trailers aren't. Aren't the definitive final. Yes, I get that. Second, the phrasing sounded like you had gone and seen it. And I was like, but it's not. Okay, Aaron, focus. Don't let them drag you down this tangent. But I was going to make up a cool story about how I have a time machine. I haven't told you guys yet. All right, I'll see you guys when you rejoin the road. Oh, look, hey, the trailer park is done. We've exited. The doors that I've just invented close behind you. 
So Dungeons and Dragons, needless to say, is a cultural phenomenon that has really changed the way that some people game. I don't want to say it's the earliest example of a tabletop role-playing system. I would have to do some research on that, but it is one of the older ones coming out at the tail end of the 60s and the beginning of the 70s and offered people a way to escape their normal drudgery, mundane lives and assume the role of a hero or a villain, whatever their fancy, to bring your imagination to life and really give you a space to play in that can leave you feeling just better than you did before you started. So I would like real quickly to touch on the impact that Dungeons and Dragons has had on culture. Starting with the game itself, as again, releasing very long ago in the late 60s by TSR Games, was written by Gary Gygax and some other people. It has evolved over the years, clearly, with several editions, at least six, because we had first, second, third, and then 3.5. I don't know if people would consider that an edition or just an expansion of third edition. And then, of course, fourth and fifth edition. Each system has offered its own unique styles and strengths and mechanics to it. Now, several of them have carried over and are staples of the series, but each edition had a unique identity, I believe. We also have several books by authors like R.A. Salvatore that tells stories of various heroes all throughout Forgotten Realms, including Dristo Durin, one of the probably most popular heroes of the Forgotten Realms, and well, definitely one of the most interesting. Well, and D&D in general. Yes, and D&D in general. Absolutely. And it's uh, worth mentioning, you had recommended the books to me a long time ago, Manny, and I have actually finally started dabbling in them. I am listening to the first book of the Dark Elf trilogy right now and am thoroughly enjoying it. Oh, yes. R.A. Salvatore. Fun guy. He is a fun guy. Apparently, I did not know this, they had the D&D kind of live conference thing a while back. And one of the things they announced that it was approaching the 35th anniversary of those books coming out, which is insane for me to think that those books were coming out when I was three years old. Now the chronological order, I think is of the story. Isn't exactly the way they were published, but yeah, no, it's been a long time running. So in addition to books, other places that Dungeons and Dragons has touched in culture, we have some video games, such as the Baldur's Gate series, the Icewind Dale series, and games like Dark Alliance. Even Champions of Norath and Champions Return to Arms are loosely based on Dungeons and & Dragons. And there's a plethora of other games, like the old, I believe Capcom might have made them, the old Dungeons & Dragons, like Tower of Mistara or something like that. And they are continuing to work on games now. The new Dark Alliance just came out, and while it was very buggy, still ended up giving me plenty of fun to where I felt justified in paying the price that I did for the game, and has since then gotten much better and much more finely tuned. So what kind of experience do you guys have with, I guess, the books and the video games specifically so far? I've gotten about six books in to the Dark Elf saga. Nice. 
I would have to say, without spoiling anything for anyone who cares to get into it, because, you know, yes, a lot of these came out a long time ago, but D&D is, I would say, perpetually since the last maybe almost 10 years or so been going through constant periods of accumulating new fans, so I won't spoil it, but it definitely brings to light what's so good and interesting about the fantasy world that's painted just by taking, I guess, the groundwork that was created in this high fantasy setting. Yeah. What about you, Mike? Honestly, aside from the, like, actual tabletop game, never interacted with any of the video games, and, like, glancingly watched the one movie that was total trash. Oof, yes, good lord. Aside from that, zero interaction with any of the books or any of that stuff. Oh, I did watch a bit of the animated series from, like, the 80s, 90s. Yes, there is the television series from the 80s that was just weird. All I gotta say is I spent my time just swinging my arm side to side. This is the Mario Brother Dance. Do 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 do. First of all, nailed it. And second of all, no one can fault you. The Super Mario Brothers Super Show was a delight. And I will die on that hill. Have fun dying on that hill. I'll send flowers. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> they will already be dying flowers because that's how much money he thinks is worth you dying on that hill. So, Mike, to discuss a little bit of your video game experience, while you may have not played an actual Dungeons & Dragons video game, I know that you used to be pretty heavy into EverQuest, the original EverQuest. And I think it's hard to deny that Dungeons & Dragons probably didn't have a significant influence on EverQuest, just the, the whole hero's might and magic facing off against enemies. And of course, I know there's other things to derive inspiration from, like the Chronicles of Narnia or the Lord of the Rings or any of the other fantasy series that have been out in the past. Honestly, I feel like it was probably more of an amalgamation from Ultima Online because it was a company that was just trying to make profits off of this new fan-dangled internet-y thingy. And was like, boy, if we put this on the internet and made everybody play together, I bet we could make loads of United States dollar bills, sometimes called bucks, <laughs> moolah, cash, or dough. What's that called? Pesos? Pasos? It's called loony. <laughs> That's Canadian. I like my loonies and my toonies. I just wanted to play along, Mike. But nobody wants to throw loonies at anybody because those are hard coins and that hurts. When Mike takes the dance floor, only he can have it. That's true. It's like his arms are flailing so hard and they've all got freaking morning stars in them. <laughs> Whoever is with me is just side candy. It's easy to see the impact that Dungeons & Dragons has had on culture. And is that... Currently, the height of its popularity, for better or worse, there are some things recently, as you gentlemen know, that have come out that are maybe some cause for concern, but ultimately, the additions we own are the additions we own, and we can always go back and play those. There's nothing they can do to change that. They will send the police over from door to door and take away your old editions of D&D. 
Like, wait, you're not here for my guns? <laughs> you're what you're you're here for my Dungeons and Dragons book. If you vote them in, they will come and take your devil away from you. Because clearly Dungeons and Dragons is the devil. They will come for all your polyhedral math stones. I did not even think about talking about that. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, and I'm sure many of you do, if you're as old as we are, there used to be a crusade against the very concept of Dungeons and Dragons, that it was evil, that it was demonic worship, that the spells that were actually in the Dungeons and Dragons books were based on real spells that you can cast, I guess. I don't even, I don't even know. It was part of the, as it's popularly referred to, the Satanic Panic, where various forms of media were, for lack of a better term, demonized. And D&D was one of the casualties. Indeed. Yes, it was. Which is sad, because anyone who's actually sat down and spent some time playing Dungeons & Dragons realizes it is nothing more than an imaginary stage for which you and your friends can play upon and improv and collaboratively tell a story together. Because in essence, that's exactly what Dungeons & Dragons is. It's a collaborative storytelling experience. It's about friendship and cooperation and looting anything that isn't nailed down. Yeah, and maybe, maybe pickpocketing your friends every once in a while. In the game, if you're pickpocketing your friends in real life, get your life in check. You should put that money and or item back into their bag. Well, the, hold on now. Let's, I mean. If you've already stolen it from them, you should put it back in their bag. IRL, don't steal from your friends. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I thought we had gone back to if you were playing as your character in a game. Straight up, put that roll of toilet paper that you stole from them at the beginning of the pandemic back in their bathroom. Don't be a jerk. It doesn't have to be the one you used, because that's already gone. But please replace. Someone should make a really, like, low-res apocalypse game and just call it Pandemic. And it has to do with COVID, and your currency is toilet paper and hand sanitizer. There is a board game called Pandemic. It's about curing diseases. Yes, I do love me some Pandemic. Very much. So what happens when that population of that country decides not to get vaccinated? Can you just, like, cut them off from the rest of the world in the game pandemic? In the game pandemic, it's really not good to let sleeping dogs lie. Because basically, the way that game works is if you get an infection cube, anything over three automatically infects every single one that's immediately adjacent within one space. Yeah, no, no. And then you create the vaccine. But what if the population of that square decides not to take the vaccine? Ah, you see, that would probably be expanded rules. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, Mike, but I'm not down with this. I play games for escapism, and in my escapism, when you create a cure, everyone takes it. And that's how I live my fantasy time. So if you want this hyper-realistic game, go talk to whatever company is morally bankrupt enough to take it. <laughs> like Hasbro. <laughs> Ring, ring, ring. Hasbro, hey, I've got this great board game idea for you. Yeah, it's called True Pandemic. It's where you have to barter in toilet paper and foodstuffs. Hey, Hasbro, you know that fresh sound you've been looking for? Well, listen to this. 
one of the greatest things about pandemic is eventually you can name your own illnesses, which I think is a lot of fun. It just leaves a lot of room to be really goofy. And then you have to find a cure for it. The, the disease that you've created, essentially, with your own brain juice. Perfect. The disease is I hate you, and the cure is... No, that's probably too dark. I shouldn't make that kind of a joke. Yeah, let's leave the dark side of the moon and come back into the light. I have some questions for you guys to end tonight. First, what are some D&D memories that y'all have, and how has Dungeons & Dragons specifically shaped your role-playing experience? I could go first. For me, I didn't start playing Dungeons & Dragons until much later in life. This wasn't from any sort of me thinking it was taboo. I grew up in a very strict Southern Baptist fundamentalist environment, and I remember distinctly one of the videos we watched at school once was why rock and roll is of the devil. And let me tell you, that video was pretty wild. But that's neither here nor there. So I didn't start playing till actually after I had left college. Not even finished college. I, I guess that's learning a little bit of dirt about me. But yeah, I just remember the first time I played uh, was at a neighbor's house in an apartment complex. And he told me like, hey, man, we're going to play Dungeons and Dragons later. I'm like, oh, cool. I've never played that before. And he insisted that I would come make a character. The very first character I ever made was a Drow Samurai. That game lasted for four hours, and then I never played that character again. But I started playing much more a couple years after that, when I met kind of one of my core gaming groups now. And what it did for me is, one, it really got me out of my comfort zone like, kind of got me out of my shell. Like, I was very, just, all the voices were my voice. But eventually, I started doing character voices, because I just got more and more into it. A small part of the thespian in me awoken, and it has helped ignite my imagination, because since having become a player, I have also become a dungeon master, and have gotten an immense amount of satisfaction out of playing... And running games for people. So I would say that what D&D has done for my role-playing experience is that it's got me incredibly comfortable assuming the role of another character, really losing myself in that world in that scenario, and just maximizing my amount of fun. And it is absolutely my therapy, guys. It is my escapism. It is the thing I look forward to every week. It is the thing that makes me happy. And I look forward to playing that game until I cannot play it anymore. That's very thoughtful and meaningful. I suppose for myself, Dungeons and Dragons, I kind of want to expand this more to tabletop role-playing games in general, but to me, they've always represented an opportunity to get to know people without feeling the social pressure of having to get to know people. So everyone gathers around a table and... Especially as a group goes along and they get comfortable with each other, I feel like you get to learn a lot from them just by the way they either play their character or the way they approach the different challenges in a campaign. And personally, I feel that that's been 
more informative to me about the people I play with than any attempts at just getting to casually know who this person is. I guess it also helps that most of the groups I play with that have run for a longer time have run for a very long time. I don't know, to me it's always just been kind of like this covert social portal, in a way. I don't think I have the same deep-reaching connection as the two of you have to D&D as a whole. I have recently gained a little bit of connection because one of my newer friends' groups has spawned out of playing tabletop games together, and I enjoy all of the people I've met through that, and we have a lot of similar tastes on one side of my life. I've got a group of friends that I wish liked playing the game, but it's just not their jam, and I get it, and I hang out with them and do different things that I enjoy. So... It hasn't had a, a huge impact on me, and I enjoy it for what it is. I don't hold any ties to any one variant or any specific tabletop game style. I'm cool, man. I'm just down to clown, have some fun, learn something. If I don't like it, I don't like it. If I like it, I'll keep playing. And I think one of the great things about Dungeons and Dragons is it could be as casual as you want it to be for yourself. Just like you said, that you're more of a casual player than some of us or don't have as roots as deep as ours. And that's fine. There is plenty of space for everyone at the table, including ones who don't have the long, rich history that some of us do. My next question, if you do have one, what is your favorite edition of Dungeons and Dragons from beginning to now? I don't have a favorite, per se. From the three different styles that I distinctly remember playing, and then the one that I don't know exactly which version it was, but I feel like it was probably 3 or 3.5, but anyway... They're all good for different aspects. I like 5th because it's the easiest for people to access, but they all have pros and cons. Meanwhile, mine's not a straightforward answer. I have history playing 2nd, 3.5, 4, and 5e. And honestly, my favorite just depends on the group mentality. Two, I love how it's a system that feels like when you achieve something, you did it in spite of the system. And sometimes I like playing board games that do that. And I feel like second edition is along those lines. 3.5, I like because it is a nearly bottomless rat's nest of character options with so many intricacies to kind of build a character that is their own. I like 4th edition because it really lends itself to the visuals and the thoughts of a strategic game. And then I like 5th because most people I run into, that's usually their first exposure, and it wasn't a hard system for me to pick up 
as some people have joked, fifth edition can be played on the back of a napkin. <laughs> that's 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 good. I like that. It kind of sums itself up as mostly it just depends. I've tried to play games with a specific edition where the group really wasn't digging it. And Mike, I think you recall this, but I had played a little bit of second edition in the past. And then I played your game and nobody was digging it, but I was having a blast. But because of that, I was fine transitioning to fifth edition because it was, in contrast, much, much simpler. The transition happened because it was easier for the group to wrap their heads around what was going on. Yeah. Aaron, what about yourself? I got my start with 3.5. The first several games I played were 3.5. And then shortly after that, I played some Pathfinder. I never got a chance to play 4th edition because everyone in my gaming circles, it had such a notorious reputation that no one gave it a shot. They just kind of went by word of mouth. So we played Pathfinder for a while. And eventually, I got the player's handbook for 3.5, and that is it. I didn't get any other books. And that's all I really needed. I never got a Pathfinder book. But around the time 5th edition came out was around the time that I actually wanted to seriously start dungeon mastering. And it was just convenient timing for me. I was like, well, 5th edition's out. Uh, They've got the core three books and a starter box that has a short adventure in it. So which I have run for you, Mike, the Mallions of Fendelver, and ran for several other people as well. Fifth edition, I would say, has been the closest to my heart. It is, one, the system that I invested in. Two, when systems get overly crunchy, it kind of breaks my immersion a little bit. Now, that could just be indicative of my intelligence and how quickly I can process information. But to me, because 5th edition is so light and user-friendly, I tend to gravitate towards it. Now, I will say that some things have gotten lost in it. It may be watered down a little too much. But overall, it has been the system that I have come to be the most fond of. I also recently got a chance to play in something called Essentials, which is essentially D&D 1st edition, but reskinned as Essentials. It's the same method, same method of building characters, same method of leveling up. I've played a few sessions of that, and it has been fun. It's been fine, but I haven't played it consistently enough. So yes, I'm going to say the 5th edition is my favorite. Now, turning over to you, the audience, what questions do you have for our dear listeners, Mike and Manny? Per usual, rather than a question, I would like to leave with a thought. Listeners, do we really have to be selective and go out and fight each other over what edition or what system we play? There's plenty of tabletop RPGs that fit every taste and every group. Maybe any of these that we've talked about aren't for you, but I'm sure you can always find something that fits your taste. Try checking that out. I will also follow in Manny's footsteps for this episode. There are several versions of D&D as a tabletop game that may be your jam. If they're not, 
there's so many other games out there that might be your jam. So many. Check them all out. Give them a try. Look up some YouTube videos. Try with a group of friends. Spend a couple sessions playing and learning the rules and see if you like it or see if you're willing to make those exceptions. I think my favorite D&D games are the ones where we don't always adhere to the exact rules as written. And that's okay, because that is the power of being the game master, the dungeon master, the whatever you want to title it. You're in control. Do what makes you and the group happy. The ticket master. Nobody likes the ticket master. The key master. The page master. Ooh, good callback. Zing. What is your favorite class in Dungeons and Dragons? Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Banter Banter. We, of course, appreciate your listenership. And remember, whether you love us or you hate us, go ahead and rate us. And if you did like us or love us, click, hit, smash, mash that subscribe button. And hey, between episodes, if you have to go out, don't forget to wear a mask if you're in a high-risk area. Don't touch your face. Wash your hands. And get those booster shots and make it play out like the actual board game pandemic. Stay away from dragons. So you're not on fire. Fireball! Lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. Go join our Banter Banter Cast Facebook page. Share some mic facts with us on Twitter at banter underscore cast or individually at brogar, C-R-E for Manny, Aaron at 8-Bit Wizard, the 8 is Roman numerical, and me at Mike8Time, that's the number 8. This season's cover art is brought to us by Bobbins and Goblins. And the fourth season intro and outro song is Friends, created by Miracle of Sound. Go check out this and many more songs from the artist 